Channeling Christ, I'm Weaver Christ, and we are on Season 2, Episode 10, The Power of the Alpha Mind. Our discussions and lectures on the human mind are extensive and molded around the human thinking that oppresses, enslaves, limits, and destroys all potential for natural, intelligent life. These lectures are meant to call out the lower mind, not for the purpose of confrontation, but for the purpose of intellectual evaluation. So the higher intellectual mind is aware of the lower human mind that holds these lower thoughts and propensities. Today we discuss the alpha mind, the mind that is empty of human presence and all human information, yet is full of the highest potential of all possibilities. The alpha mind holds the power of ascension, transcension, all empathic powers, all psychic powers, and the power of telepathy. To begin this podcast, I have an opening lecture from Mother. Jumping into the cosmic stream, I will be reading from that transcript. Mother says, All of the powers of the Alpha Mind come from the astral world. This is the spirit world, which is also the higher conscious universe. All of life is conscious because all of life is comprised of conscious intelligent energy. Conscious intelligent energy waves are emitted from a conscious impulse within the wave itself, and this impulse is conscious because it is intelligent. Conscious intelligent energy is alive. It is the first life form, and it is not composed of any subatomic particles, atomic particles, molecules, or cells. There is no matter base to conscious intelligent energy whatsoever. You cannot capture it, or confine it in order to study it under any physical instrument. Conscious intelligent energy is entirely composed of anti-gravity, anti-matter. If you hold out your hand and try to make a thought appear in your palm, you will not be able to do it. Thoughts are composed of conscious intelligent energy waves. You cannot see a thought unless you commit that thought to a physical medium. Conscious intelligent astral energy does not conform to the natural intelligent energies that are in the gravity plane. Conscious intelligent astral energy is the conscious intelligent energy of creation. Consciousness is not a condition specific to humans. Consciousness is a condition that means energy waves carry conscious intelligent impulses that direct their course and propel them to combine with conscious intelligent impulse energies that are compatible in equilibrium. The human spirit is conscious intelligent astral energy with the recorded image, personality, and character of the human identity within the conscious impulse of that energy field. The human spirit is not the first or the only spirit. 
Prior to the invention of human information by man, conscious intelligent astral energy existed as pure spirit that held no human information. This pure conscious intelligent astral energy is the energy body of all non-human life forms. As there is no human information, so there is no person and no identity, nor is there any entity with cravings, leanings, or longings, so the energy is higher in vibration. The energy is conscious, intelligent, anti-gravity energy. High energy indicates pure energy. The lower an energy wave is, the less pure it is, and the more gravity is within that wave. The natural gravity waves of the earth and the natural gravity waves in the earth's environment are all pure gravity waves because there is no human information in these waves. When I speak of natural gravity waves, I refer to the gravity waves that are not full of man's toxic pollution. The toxic pollution that man pumps into the environment does not contain pure gravity waves. The toxic pollution man pumps into the environment is toxic. It is not pure at all. Man only utilizes pure natural energies of the earth for running his machines if and only if he does not synthesize that energy or tamper with it in any way. Everything man does to tamper with the natural energies of the earth also pollutes nature, whether he is tampering with natural energies, natural atoms, natural molecules, natural cells, natural DNA codes, natural liquids, or natural solids. Natural energy becomes volatile when it is tampered with, which means man has now made nature unstable. And this is the reason why man's synthesized substances are unstable. Where man thinks he owns the earth, man is deluded in his thoughts. His thoughts are not sane, nor are they aligned with natural intelligence. When man tampers with nature, he throws nature off balance. When nature is out of balance, all the natural systems of life are off balance. The environment, the ecological systems, all plant life, all insect life, all animal life, and all human life. When you choose to imagine you are still natural, you are fantasizing. You will never be natural again, as long as you continue to keep nature out of balance. The alpha mind is the higher mind. The alpha mind is an astral mind. The astral mind holds an astral body. Neither the alpha mind nor the alpha mind's astral body hold any human information. All human information is invented by man. It does not naturally exist. Remember the laws of natural energy. Natural energy knows natural energy. The knowing is in the conscious intelligent impulse of the natural energy wave. There is no human information in the conscious intelligent impulse of natural energy. Therefore, human information is not recognized by conscious intelligent natural energy impulses.
there is no human information in conscious, intelligent alpha energy impulses. So alpha's conscious, intelligent impulses do not recognize human information. As astral spirit energy is made of pure, non-human impulse energy waves, so astral spirit energy does not recognize human information. A human has a lower mind to hold their unnatural human information, and this lower mind is also held within the astral body. But the lower mind does not hold any astral gifts. The lower mind's information is relative only to the human information it holds. It is the sum of the human information it invented and the human identity and nothing more. All the gifts of intelligence come from the alpha mind, so the human information that is held within the impulse of the human astral body will only know human information and nothing else. How do you as a human know you hold any alpha talents? All alpha talents are inspired. All alpha talents come from a higher dimension, the higher astral dimension, so all of these talents are sophisticated and delicate and they pertain to the highest intelligence. In order to teach, it is necessary to illustrate contrasts. In order to know an astral talent, you must know what an astral talent is not. In order to know inspiration, you must know what does not come from inspiration. Inspiration is a higher calling. It does not refer to carnal instincts, nor does it refer to the urges found in depravity, violence, cruelty, or mayhem. Once again, you may think you are not being cruel when you harm something, but your thought to harm and your act of harming both release an energy wave, and these energy waves are not aligned to the highest impulse energy. So what you think may be revered by you as a wholesome intelligent thought, but to the natural intelligent impulse energy waves and to the intelligent astral impulse energy waves, you are neither intelligent nor are you wholesome. As you are not connecting to what is natural and wholesome, there is no natural wholesome energy that knows you, and you are setting natural wholesome energy off balance. And while your unbalanced mind won't notice this imbalance, because imbalance seems normal to you, the natural energy of your energy field knows this imbalance and it records this imbalance which sends waves through your natural matter body and your body will experience unnatural changes that will exhibit themselves in unbalanced emotions and feelings that will destabilize your thinking and your performance. You may discount these things completely or chalk them up to being overtired. But the longer you continue with unbalanced thinking, the more your symptoms will persist and exacerbate. Inspiration is not disturbing or unbalanced. Inspiration is the highest hope. It is peaceful and life-giving, and it does not inspire thoughts or actions that are the opposite of peace and life. 
You may think you are inspired to hunt, but you are not. There is no such thing as the inspiration to kill. You are misunderstanding your carnal urges. You may think you are inspired to mutilate animals for trophies and taxidermy. You are misunderstanding the craving of your deranged mind. You may think you are inspired to trap, confine, and torture animals or people, whether for insane pleasure or for the insanity of your science. This is also not inspiration. These acts all come from a deranged mind. The same holds true if you believe you are inspired to cause persecution and division, and if you believe you are inspired to dominate, oppress, and wage war. The deranged mind is not arranged in order. The deranged mind is out of order because it is out of balance with the natural mind that is the only mind of order. When you choose to be unnatural, you are no longer balanced in the mind. Your mind immediately descends and it becomes demented, deranged, and debased, debauched, depraved, psychotic, and insane. The higher alpha mind is a mind that holds the highest peace and balance, and the natural mind holds natural peace and balance because it is fed from the higher alpha mind. The gifts of the higher alpha mind include all the powers of sentience, and sentience is the power of empathy. Sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell are the senses that stream from the sentient dimension to earth and all natural life. So all natural life may experience these senses through the senses in their astral energy bodies that protect their organic bodies like a force field. You believe the sense comes from your body, but the sense comes from your sentient energy field. Your body contains the sense receptors only. If you did not have natural intelligence in your sentient energy field, you would have no awareness of your senses. Your alpha mind is a part of your energy field. It is not a part of your physical brain. Your brain merely relays the signals from your energy field to your body so you can perceive your senses. But the senses come from your energy field. And it is the alpha mind of your energy field that does the experiencing. It is not your brain. Your brain does not hold your identity, nor does your brain hold any of your human information. Your lower mind holds all of your human information, including your identity. The alpha mind holds all alpha intelligence and natural intelligence, including the intelligence of the senses. Your brain is made of flesh, just like your body. Your higher mind is an intelligent astral impulse held within an intelligent astral energy body. And your lower mind holds all your human recorded information. Your higher mind is your highest potential. The alpha mind is what you are at your highest. At your lowest, you are merely the sum of your human recorded information. And this includes the recording of your identity, your character, your personality, your knowledge, your beliefs, your emotions, your feelings, and your memories. 
Your alpha mind serves you to the highest degree. But when you choose the lowest degree, you are served only by your own human desires and intentions, and you do not experience any of your alpha gifts. The alpha mind's gifts include the exemplary gifts of music, art, and writing. Each of these gifts is revealed only to the artist that is exemplary in his work. The exemplary artist strives for the highest perfection and will always honor what is natural, delicate, refined, gentle, sophisticated, intellectual, and superior. The exemplary artist always strives for what is moral, ethical, and balanced to the perfect equanimity of divine inspiration. This does not mean that only a religious person can be a superior artist. Do not confuse human concepts with alpha understanding. Religions were invented by men. So were all practices of spirituality. But the spirit itself is not an invention of men. The spirit that is referenced in the intellectual study of astralism is the name of the intelligent astral energy field full of the highest potential of intelligence. As this superior energy field is alive by virtue of being powered by intelligence, so this energy is spiritual. It is not the energy that runs your machines. Man has fed you his misconceptions, and it is these misconceptions that cloud your thinking and impair your ability to know the truth. The truth is natural. It is not human. The spirit is natural. It is not human. A human spirit contains human information that includes a human identity that can project its human image, but this information is unnatural. This information invaded the spirit. The spirit was not meant to be invaded. The spirit was meant to be empty of human identity and human knowledge. The spirit was made to hold only natural intelligence. In order to see the natural truth, you have to set aside all human information and engage a higher mind. The same higher mind you draw on for inspiration hope, and the highest thoughts. And when you listen to astral teachings, you must listen from your higher non-human mind, your higher mind that holds no human information. Inspiration lifts up the higher mind. It does not bring the higher mind down. The higher mind cannot be lowered. Only the lower human mind can sink into deeper and deeper levels of depravity and darkness. When you listen from your lower mind, your lower mind may feel anger, jealousy, or resentment. The lower mind may feel aggravated and assaulted by higher information. These thoughts come from a dark place, and they are indications that your lower mind is rebelling against the information. Your lower mind rebels because the lower mind is not equal to higher information. There is a simple test to illustrate this. The lower mind that is set in hostility will crave negative stimulation. It will seek loud music with harsh voices that are screaming incoherent lyrics. It will seek loud, brash, and even violent entertainment and sports. Anything demeaning, insulting, and crude will be amusing to the dark mind. 
This mind will not be able to sit through anything calm, peaceful, intellectual, or enlightened. This mind will not take the time to think things through. There will be no discernment in this mind, no comprehension, and no analysis or clear, concise, balanced judgments. This mind takes personal offense to what is being said because it is solely focused on itself and its smallness makes it unable to see the larger picture. The higher mind carries pure information that is not human, so it cannot fall. There is no impurity in the higher mind to cause it to fall. You cannot place impurities in the higher mind to cause it to fall because impurities carry weight that make it impossible for impurities to rise to the heights of the higher mind. The lower mind can be outraged by purity due to the lower mind's imbalance. The imbalance within the lower mind will make the lower mind feel upstaged and because the lower mind is unbalanced, it cannot reason out its feelings so it holds no capacity to realize it thinks or why it thinks the way it does. There is no intelligent comprehension. In many ways, the unbalanced mind is a computer that cannot compute. In contrast, the higher mind holds an eternal intelligent impulse full of the highest potential and the highest of all possibilities. To choose the limitations of a computer that cannot compute over the higher unlimited intelligence that is life-giving and ever-evolving is not logical. There is no mortal that can change the inevitable when man does not choose to change the inevitable course of a poison death. The course is laid and he will follow it to its poisonous conclusion. This leaves no hope for mortality. But the mind is not mortal, so the mind does not have to suffer a mortal fate. Only the body will suffer the mortal fate that man causes it. The mind can ascend out of mortality even while the mortal body is alive on earth. The mind can experience release, rebirth, emancipation, freedom, liberation, and even exoneration from all human thinking, oppression, persecution, degradation, humiliation, embarrassment, limitation, deprivation, pain, frustration, anger, hostility, regret, remorse, grief, jealousy, envy, lust, perversion, and all impulses to harm, cling, long, pine, and cleave. When the mind is trained to ascend, the mind holds the power to transform and transcend out of all mortal thinking and mortal conditions. True peace Absolute peace and perfect peace can be known, and this peace is not the peace of death, that is a deep sleep. The peace of the living mind is awake, alert, and full of the highest potential for all possibilities, and these possibilities are all peaceful. There is no disturbance in any of it. This makes peace come alive. This is true life. In the ascended dimension of pure mind, full of the highest potential and all possibilities, there is no mortal and no mortality. There is no human and no human identity or human information. The mind is free to reinvent what it is in spirit form. The only dimension that will conflict, confine, enslave, and diminish the mind is the dimension dominated by human thinking 
that is limited to self-serving violent and destructive aims that lead to poisonous results, genetic diseases, birth defects, plagues, poverty, oppression, persecution, divisive thinking, war, hate, anger, greed, insanity, chaos, instability, insecurity, global destruction, and every stage of death. Ascension is the only release, and the mind is the only escape vehicle that can ascend, and the power of ascension is an alpha power, and that power is held in the alpha mind. The alpha mind holds all the powers of immortality. Immortality is an ascended condition that is no longer mortal, and the ascended mind is not a mortal mind. Even if it is still attached to a mortal body on earth, and a lower mind full of mortal information. Every natural organic creation holds an alpha mind within their energy field. Because the energy field and the alpha mind are both a part of the astral universe of living intelligent creation. The only thing that sets the dimensions of intelligence apart from one another is their individual comprehension of themselves. In order to comprehend, there must be an intelligent impulse. All life holds an intelligent impulse that recognizes an equal intelligent impulse. But the alpha mind that holds the human identity holds the potential for knowing all intelligent impulses. The highest intelligence is the awareness of all intelligence and all dimensions of intelligence. This means the human identity holds the potential from an alpha identity. But first, the human identity must ascend out of human information to accept and receive alpha information. Once all alpha information is realized, that human identity is transcended and is now an alpha identity in full possession of all alpha powers. The first realization the alpha identity will have is that human information is stifling and limited because human information holds a very small focus. All human information is focused solely on the mortal condition and the mortal self. And the alpha identity will feel vast and unlimited. It will not feel there is a self anymore and it will not feel limited. It will experience that it is unlimited. The Alpha Identity will see the self as its former human incarnation. It will no longer identify with a human persona. The Alpha Mind is too vast and unlimited to narrow its thinking to such a small field. The idea of being evolved out of human mortal thinking does not come from the human ego or human delirium. The idea of being evolved out of human mortal thinking comes from the new experience of a vast mind that is unlimited in its potential. The unlimited potential of the alpha mind sees the limitations of the human mind. The alpha mind now sees the mental universe as vast, unexplored, undiscovered territory, and the alpha mind will want to explore that territory 
and the impulse to explore will call all of the alpha gifts to the foreground of conscious awareness and all senses will be heightened in the alpha mind and all of these senses and the impulse to explore will be peaceful. There will be no lower intentions or lower thoughts that conflict with the vast open unlimited peace of the astral mind. This is the ascended mind. The ascended alpha mind is the only life preserver that can save man, for only the mind can be saved. The flesh will die, but while the flesh is dying from the toxic world that your leaders keep toxic, your minds do not have to bear with the body's illnesses, nor do you have to bear with the corrupt, contorted, unbalanced information that is streaming from all media avenues, nor do you have to deal with the corrupt minds that believe in this information and repeat it. Peace is available if you have the mind to reach it. Coming out of the stream of mother's thoughts, peace can be realized through many of the Alpha Mind's gifts. Through ascension alone you can experience the vast open dimension of Alpha Peace that is absent of all human information and mortality. There are dimensions of sentient peace where you can feel peace sensually as well as intellectually. There is also a dimension of psychic peace, and where psychic ability is largely an ability of prophecy, psychic peace would be the Alpha Realization of the end to all turmoil. Mercy Heavens is with us today. As she holds the most extensive experience of psychic awareness, I'm going to let her take over to describe all the gifts of the psychic astral mind, and we will join in a discussion about these gifts. Welcome, Mercy. Thank you, Reva. That was a wonderful dissertation from Mother. We began speaking of psychic awareness in Episode 7, when we spoke of the difference between telepathy astral and psychic visions. Today we're going to learn the full spectrum of all astral gifts and psychic awareness. As an ascended master, psychic counselor, psychic lecturer, medium, and psychic investigator who has solved murders and missing people cases across the country, I would first like to give you a little background information on who I am. My entrance into this world was not an ordinary one. My mother told me she almost died having me, for I was a C-section baby, and my scheduled arrival time to enter this earth coincided with the Mercury Atlas Six mission on the spacecraft, the Friendship 7, piloted by astronaut John H. Glenn. As the Friendship went up at 9.47 a.m., I was arriving into the world, but the doctors that were delivering me decided to listen to the television monitor, which held the moon launch, rather than pay attention to my mother's C-section. Because the doctors were more interested in the launch and not in my arrival on Earth, my mother told me she started to bleed profusely, which drew the doctor's attention back onto her. Frantic over their own negligence, they worked diligently to save my mother's life. And finally, I was born. But who was I? Was I a girl? A boy? A human? Or an alien? My mother says the doctor eagerly welcomed me into the world by saying, Welcome to the world, little man. You have yourself another son. Naturally, the doctors were wrong, for I am a woman. 
And from what my mother told me, she believed they saw a boy because she saw the Holy Spirit came upon me as I came into the world. All through my childhood, I was spiritually gifted and had an unusually deep devotion for God and Christ. Since your birth, the hand of the Holy Spirit was upon you, my mother would say to me, for your gifts are proof of your holy blessings. My mother once read to me a passage in the Bible, Corinthians twelve seven through 11 This passage tells us, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these things are the work of one and the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, and He distributes these things to each one just as He determines. God was determined that I help and heal all creation with my higher gifts. In my childhood, I would often dream of plane crashes, which in my waking hours would become a reality. It was quite shocking back then to see such things at such a young age. But as I got older, I learned to understand my abilities, and soon I became a medium to the dead. It was in the year 1994 that I experienced my very first breakthrough to the other world, the world between life and death. It was a woman's spirit that reached out to me and asked me to solve her murder. After this event, I was never the same, and then five years after the murder was solved, I started experiencing even more encounters with the dead. Every day since that time, a new spirit would come to me, and then one night, one of those encounters was a very old and holy spirit. It was the night of the millennium, 1999, when this male voice brilliantly described how the world would really end. From that night on, I was swarmed with prophetic dreams until I began to hear the same godly voice during the daylight hours. The voice was spewing out humanitarian thoughts, which I eagerly began to write down. You are a witness firsthand to the inhumanities of this world. So you may prepare yourself for what is to come, the voice told me. And it was after this dream that my psychic visions were now becoming clearer, for I began predicting world events such as the fall of the Twin Towers and the war in the Middle East. Every night during my sleep, the voice would come to me again and speak to me while disappearing every time I asked the same question. Who are you? By October 2002, my mother went blind and was diagnosed with renal failure, and as she lay in hospital bed, I read to her from the Bible until I fell asleep myself. I really don't know how long I was sleeping when suddenly I felt compelled to wake. 
When I finally opened my eyes, I saw a male figure enter the room. Oddly enough, this man wore a white robe and seemed to slowly float across the floor, heading straight towards me. Your journey of gaining knowledge is just beginning, I heard the voice say. Through my guidance, you will be made a disciple of God. The truth must be told. Spread my word and make my intentions clear. I will not leave you until all is accomplished. The voice I was hearing was a powerful one. And as I looked into the face of the speaker, I tried to rationalize who exactly was sending me this humanitarian message. The man's face was soft and kind, and his eyes were a dark shade of blue, which at times almost looked like they were brown. I recognized his features immediately from the many portraits of Christ that I had seen over time. Follow God's word as I tell it to you. The man continued to speak in a soft and gentle tone. Do not put words in their place. Your name shall be mercy heavens. Teach those who have no understanding due to human carelessness. This world is coming to its end. Warn all who you see of man's destruction of the earth. Inform them what men have done to the earth through their own neglect and carelessness. The figure of Christ then placed a hand on my mother's forehead and said, your mother will awaken. It is not her time yet. As Christ left the room, my mother opened her eyes and looked to me. She said, I just saw Christ in my dream. I'm going to be okay. And then she smiled. He was here, Mom, I replied. I saw him too. Out of all my psychic impressions, this was the one I found the most intriguing. When speaking of spiritual energy and psychic awareness, I always remember Joel 2.28. In Joel 2.28 it says, And it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men and old women shall dream dreams, and your young men and young women shall see visions. To prophesize is to use spiritual energy in the form of a revelation that foretells or forewarns about a future event of about a past event that has affected the future. A prophecy is an act of divine inspiration. It is more than visions. It is psychic awareness, astral travel, and projection, telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and in very rare cases, telekinesis. The gift of prophecy was given to all beings that carry the spirit of God, but few beings use these great gifts, and some religions even shun these gifts as being evil. In Isaiah 30, 10 through 21, it says, Woe to the obstinate, declares the Lord. Woe to those who carry out plans that are not mine forming alliances with evil, but not with my own spirit. Woe to the ones who heap sin upon sin, because people and God's creations are useless to men. Woe to the ones who bring neither help nor advantage, but only bring shame and disgrace to themselves. 
Woe to the ones who bring hardship and distress to any of God's creations. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, they say, give us no more visions and testimonies of what is right. Tell us instead only pleasant things and prophesize illusions. Or leave us, for you have no right to tell us to get off our own path. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel, the one who says he's the Lord. The Lord says, because you have rejected God's message and instead relied on oppression and depended on deceit, only evil and sin will become of you. Like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly, in an instant, you will break into pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly, as you have shattered the lives of all whom you have victimized. And among your pieces, not a fragment will be found. Only in repentance and in rest will your salvation be granted to you. Only in quietness and trust will you regain your strength, and never will you be able to flee your injustice. For the prophets were your teachers, and your teachers will be hidden from you no more. Nay, from this day forward, with your own eyes, you will always see them, whether you turn to the right or you turn to the left. And from this day forward, your ears will always hear their voices right behind you, saying, This is the way to walk with the Lord, so walk in it. And this is the way to salvation, so be saved. The Bible teaches us not to shun any gifts of prophecy, but to test and explore prophecy and pay attention to it. In 2 Peter 1.19 it says, So we have the prophetic word to make us more sure, and therefore it will do you well to pay attention to prophecy. In Romans 12.6 it says, Since we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us by the Spirit, each of us is to exercise these gifts accordingly. If your gift is prophecy, then you must exercise the gift of prophecy in proportion to your belief and faith in the Lord. Spiritual energy is the life force inside and behind every gift of prophecy, and therefore God is the life force inside and behind every prophecy. The Spirit is divine and miraculous. The Spirit is natural. But to men, anything spiritual is supernatural and paranormal. So now the paranormal is normal to spiritual energy and the supernatural is natural to spiritual energy. But the spirit is natural and normal all on its own. It is only man's thinking that is abnormal. Spiritual energy is the life force that radiates inside every imagining and act of creativity. And it is the life force that radiates inside every psychic ability, intuitive perception, the ability to receive past or future knowledge that is hidden and unseen. Reviewing all of the psychic gifts, we will start with astral projection. 
An astral projection comes from the spirit mind that projects its information outward so other minds may experience this information visually or sensually. Astral travel is the ability to leave one's own body through one's own consciousness so there is a mental separation from the physical world as the consciousness travels to other worlds or places outside the perimeters and boundaries of their physical location. Clairvoyance is the ability to see things and events that are happening far away or near and to locate objects using a sixth sense. Channeling is the ability to sense and communicate with other living minds in the physical world or in the spirit world. Dream telepathy is the ability to telepathically communicate with other persons through dreams. Helometry is the ability to heal with one's own empathic, mental, or spiritual energy. Mediumship is the ability to sense and communicate with ghosts trapped on earth and with spirits in the afterlife. Precognition or premonition is the ability to perceive future events. Psychokinesis or telekinesis is the ability to influence objects without physical interaction. Ergokinesis is the ability to influence the forces of nature and the movement of energy such as electricity without direct interaction. Psychometry is the ability to obtain information about a person or an object by touch. Remote viewing is the ability to see a distant or unseen thing of event using ESP. ESP is extra sensory perception, which is a gift of empathy, sensing energy waves, emotions, feelings, thoughts, and physical and mental well-being. Post-cognition is the ability to psychically or astrally perceive past events. Telepathy is the ability to transmit and receive thoughts empathically. These thoughts may be verbal, visual, or a combination, or both. They may also contain sense information relative to scent, touch, taste, feelings, and emotions. Clairaudience is the ability to hear sounds that are not audible to the human ear. The hearing is done through astral hearing. Clairsentience is the ability to perceive sensual information from waves of emotions, feelings, and impressions experienced through the alpha mind's intelligent senses. Automatic writing is the ability to write words that a spirit dictates. This is a form of channeling. With automatic writing, you can also write something and not know you are writing it. For the spirit itself will take over your hand. Xenoglossy is the ability to learn to write and speak a foreign language through transcendence. Spiritual energy on earth or in the afterlife is the exact same, for spiritual energy is eternal, and that means it can exist in all places, whether it is a free agent or it is confined to a living physical form of containment. 
It is important to note that no spirit can be captured. The spirit is the energy field that fuels an organic body. The spirit is natural to the natural organic body that it is tethered to. No spirit can be captured by a man and used to fuel any other body. The spirit does not do the will of a man. The spirit does the will of its own higher mind, unless that spirit holds human information, and then it will only obey the will of its human identity. In the Bible scripture 2 Peter 1.21, it says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. All prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit that speaks for God. Jesus tells us, Spiritual energy is everywhere. It is in the trees, the wind, and in every living being and thing in nature, whether that being is an animal or human. To not speak to the dead when the spirit is all that there is and all that remains after death is foolhardy. Without spirit, there is no life. The spirit must be nurtured and spoken to every day, for the spirit holds the eternal living mind. Just as God and I are spirits, all life has a spirit too. It is only living men that deny the spirit, for living men do not think or see with their higher mind. Men who forsake the spirit will tell you not to talk to spirits, for they do not know they have a spirit, nor do they know me. Only those who follow me in truth know that speaking to spirits is pleasing to the Lord, for in truth, speaking to spirits is the path to spiritual enlightenment. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire all gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people in order to teach, strengthen, encourage, and comfort. The one who prophesies in my name, according to my messages, without changing a word, edifies my Father in me. I would like every one of you to use prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13.2 If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Jesus told me, love the gifts the Holy Spirit grants you, but especially love prophecy. When you take the gifts of prophecy upon you, you take me upon you. Any mind without a spirit has no gifts at all, and any mind that takes my mind upon them will gain the gifts they lack. There are spirits that roam these earthly planes, and these disembodied minds are looking for explanations to their sudden passing, while other spirits seek closure to their own restless hauntings. Use my gifts to help the spirits that man labels as ghosts. And so you will not become a ghost yourself, remember. Any form of guilt, remorse, mental anguish, and torment creates a replay of memories that can haunt the mind. This is why when the body dies, the ghost of its own memories remains on earth. As the mind attaches to its memories, so it can also attach to physical objects. When a man dies, 
yet he still longs to live in his house. His spirit will occupy that house until he releases attachment to that house. The same is true of any object a man might attach himself to. The same is also true for relationships. A man may pass, but remain as a spirit in his house, if the loved one he is attached to still lives in that house. If you victimize any living being, your mind creates a ghost of that victim, and a ghost of all the violence, hardship, pain, and suffering that you inflicted on them. And this ghost will then return to you upon your old age and your death will not cause you to escape it. So victimize no one and take care of your minds. Keep your minds innocent and free from human violence, corruption, and inequity by taking the gifts of prophecy upon you. Explaining the gifts of the psychic alpha mind to a closed mind can be a difficult task, especially when many human beings have been programmed to believe in only what they can physically see, hear, taste, and touch. When human perception, human opinion, and human judgment override intelligence, access to the alpha mind of the spirit remains closed, so all gifts of the alpha mind are inaccessible. Few people are awakened to the gifts of their intuitive spiritual senses, and this is why spirit activity in the afterlife is feared and shunned by those who cling to the flesh of their own physical existence. In many cases of known spiritual activity, a spirit's energy can be dormant until something triggers it to awaken. This is the same for a closed mind until something triggers that mind to awaken to its spiritual energy, it will be in denial of the astral universe. The act of making contact with spiritual energy relies heavily on the energy frequency that each person is sending out into the spiritual field. Spiritual energy is very sensitive to other energy fields that are like itself, for like energy attracts like energy. But when a person is skeptical, their energy field is closed to all astral communication. The more spiritually aware a human being becomes, the more like energy will gravitate towards it. For spiritual awareness emits spiritual energy waves into the natural environment. To understand the energy that is emitted from spiritual activity, you must first understand that after death occurs, a human being's energy field is still active and alive. This means that it can appear the very same way that a footprint is left in the sand. Although a person who left the footprint is gone from sight, the footprint remains. While in death, a physical life form leaves a spiritual energy imprint. All spirit energy is full of intelligent impulse potential relative to the spirit's information if the spirit is human, then the impulse potential is human potential. If the impulse potential is that of an ascended human, then that spirit holds an alpha potential. All images of ghosts are part of this imprint, for these are the projections from the recollections of the physical experience that the mind once held on earth. Human beings who see this type of spirit energy, such as apparitions of once-living beings, 
are called receivers, mediums, and seers. Reva, would you like to speak about the spirit's journey when it is trapped on earth? I certainly had enough experience after documenting all your psychic investigations. Spirit energy lives on a different plane of existence than the physical plane. Ghosts on earth make appearances in the place they are attached to in the physical world, but they cannot remain active. Activity is very draining for a ghost due to the fact that their energy field is composed of gravity energy from all the human information they carry and their human emotional attachments. All activity depletes their energy reserves and they must seek refuge in a corridor between the earth and the afterworld. When you were in your accident, do you think you were in that corridor? The same corridor that ghosts are in? The whole accident was surreal to me. We were walking together with our dog and then suddenly you were hit by the car. Literally, that car should have hit me too, but it didn't. I was walking on the side where the car would have made impact. I always think about that. Why didn't the car hit me? You were on the other side of me. I still remember the whole incident so clearly. The street was empty of all people, and it was very early in the morning, around 7.30 a.m. And that street was one of the busiest streets in our city. So for it to be vacant of people was extremely unusual. When the car came speeding around the corner that morning, that impact when it hit you was so loud and tremendous that I still hear it today. As the car struck you down, the dog bolted and I lost hold of the leash. As the dog was running away up the street from the accident site, all I thought of was, oh my God, the dog's going to be hit next. What am I going to do? The car that hit you slowed down itself, but it still kept rolling towards you. And the driver looked crazed and dazed, thinking the car would roll straight over you. I slammed my entire body over the hood and screamed, Stop the car! Stop the car! And at that point, the man slammed on his brake, got out of the car, and yelled, It wasn't me! I didn't do that! Once the man left the car, I saw immediately that he was very old, and literally he shouldn't have been driving at all. Before I could go to you and see if you were alive, the man quickly jumped back into his car and started it up again like he was going to take off and roll right over you. So I screamed, someone stop that man. He hit my sister and he's going to leave the scene of the crime. Out of nowhere, this empty street literally became filled with people coming out of buildings and construction men were seen on top of a rooftop as three of them in hard hats ran over and one pulled the man from the car and held him there to the police game. Seconds were flying by and it was at this point I went right to you and thought, oh my God, she's dead. For you were lying still on the ground. Your eyes were wide open and blood was trickling down from a corner of your mouth. Nailing down to you, I checked your vital signs. I found you completely unresponsive, so I was going to perform CPR when all of a sudden you sat up and then your eyes looked straight at me, but there was absolutely no life or recognition in your eyes and you never said a word. 
I felt at the very moment some spirit was upon you, watching over you and intervening on your behalf. That spirit did not want you to die. Although you were inside your body, I knew something or someone else was there. Never did you speak or say a word. I wiped the blood from your mouth as an ambulance attendant ran over and yelled, Don't touch her! I was just getting off work. I saw the whole thing. That girl must have flown seven feet in the air. She should be dead. Looking up at the man, I noticed that the accident happened directly in front of the ambulance company that he was coming out of. Time was speeding by now as a police car and ambulance pulled up to the site and a police officer told me to step aside while the ambulance attendant worked on my sister. I watched as you were placed on the stretcher and then put into the ambulance and then a man came over holding a dog in his arms. I saw the whole thing. I saw your dog running down the street, he said. So I caught him for you. Relieved that my dog was safe, I asked the stranger if he could take me home so I could get our car and meet you at the hospital when the ambulance arrived. The man was very kind and he obliged. Once I got to the hospital, when I first saw you, you were surrounded by hospital personnel and you looked calm, collected and serene as if nothing happened at all. And then you spoke to me and your voice seemed higher and softer, not like it usually was. As the day went on, I noticed your personality, attitude, and outlook also were completely changed, as if your whole personality had been realigned. Before the accident, you were anxious, worried, depressed, angry, unsettled, and very frustrated over your circumstances, even though your circumstances never changed, and in fact, because of the accident, they got drastically worse. But you seem to be totally oblivious to them. I even remember your taste for food drastically changed. And you told the hospital staff and me that you didn't want to eat meat for it disgusted you. Even to this day since that accident, you still haven't eaten meat or poultry. Yet you did eat it before the accident. Maybe it's because I haven't eaten meat in so long that really struck me as odd. One other thing I noticed that changed after your accident was the fact that your empathic abilities and psychic intuition was heightened and you began channeling Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirits from the afterlife. Now this was something I was already doing for years but you never did nor did you ever show any interest in doing it before the accident? I was called to Christ and I wanted to ascend to the corridor I had been in, so I answered the call. You went through a shocking ordeal. Each time you tell it, I am bewildered, literally, because I see it as you say it, and I find it alarming that we went through that, and I don't remember it. My last memory of that day was the position of the sun in the early morning sky. My next memory is of blackness. I was wide awake in empty blackness, and the blackness seemed empty of everything but my energy. Even the energy of my human information wasn't present. I was awake, alert, and aware, and I was aware all my senses were fully active at their highest potential. It's difficult to comprehend 
But even though there was nothing to experience, my sight, hearing, and sense of smell, my feelings and emotions were all heightened. I don't mean they were on end as if I were anxiously alert. I mean they were sharp and clear. They were at their highest power to receive information, and I knew this. My thinking was also sharp and clear. I knew immediately I was disembodied, and my energy was realigned to perfect balance. That's funny because when you say you automatically knew that you were disembodied, I find that extremely intellectual because as a psychic, I remember my very first vision that I had, even though I was not in my body, I had no idea if I was disembodied. I didn't realize it till after the vision. But for you to actually realize that, when your brain was unconscious in the mortal dimension, that was really quite amazing because your thoughts went on, yet your body was not present. Your body was lying motionless on the ground, and your brain was unconscious, yet your mind was a living, active mind. That's the basis of what I'm teaching. The mind lives. It has nothing to do with the mortal form or the flesh brain. How do you think a ghost exists? It doesn't have a flesh body or a flesh brain anymore. Neither does a spirit. I realize that, but you were still alive. You weren't a spirit, and yet your mind knew you were disembodied. Your mind was fully operational, and it calculated where it was and it also calculated that it was detached from its mortal vessel. I spoke to someone who was in a coma, and I knew for a fact they were in a coma because we were related to the person in the coma. I remember and that. They reached out to me, and I jotted down everything they said. Right. It's just, it's just amazing that the mind lives on. And I think this story of your accident proves that you don't have to die to prove that this is proof positive that the mind indeed lives on you don't need a body of a brain to make your mind be responsive and alive the mind is alive because it is made of intelligence and it is full of intelligence because of the intelligent impulse that is the reason why it lives on earth I had been depressed and anxious, but there in the corridor I felt completely restored, as if I were perfectly whole. I call it a corridor now because I know it as a corridor. The spirits explained it to me. They tell me it is highly unusual that my mind was aware I was in a black corridor when my brain was unconscious. They say I was there because I had no attachments to any memories, and they think my lack of having any attachment to my memories created the black corridor I was aware of while disembodied. It's hard to adequately describe my experience because the entire experience was intellectually sensual and purely intelligent. It was quite honestly a perfect experience in spite of the drastic circumstances that brought the experience about. When I woke on earth, I was on a stretcher in an ambulance and it felt to me that my body weighed a ton. I couldn't move it. Not only was the weight too heavy, 
but I felt like I was suffocating from the density of the gravity environment. I noticed my left arm was hanging limp and I couldn't even move it. My mouth was dry and I couldn't speak, but I was not worried or concerned. An ambulance attendant sat on a stool beside me playing with a small flashlight he held in his hand and as soon as he saw I was awake, he jumped up and shined the light in my eyes and began asking questions. What was my name? Where did I live? What year was it? Who was the President of the United States? I felt as if I was operating in slow motion. Everything seemed like it was dragging. I could only speak one word at a time. It was like a stalled engine. It only lasted a few seconds, but it seemed a lot longer. I answered the questions without any conscious memory of the information I was telling him. And as I answered, it was like visual puzzle pieces of my life were coming to my mind as my life was being put back together. By the time I answered the last question, I was back to normal speed and the ambulance was moving with the Simon on and I was able to ask, what happened to me? Where's my sister? Where's my dog? Where were you taking me? I learned um, you and the dog were fine and you were following them to the hospital. I asked what hospital that they were taking me to and I knew their destination was further than the hospital that was local to where we lived. So I also asked why are we going there and I was told it was the closest hospital with a trauma unit. Even though I was able to ask questions and answer questions, I did not fully comprehend the gravity of what happened to me. The attendant placed my left arm on my chest and I seized my left hand with my right hand and held it to keep it from falling again. I don't remember when my left arm felt like my left arm again. The moment I was brought into the emergency room, nurses surrounded me and while one began taking my jacket off, another was cutting off my sweatpants. I must have regained use of my left hand because I used both hands to hold on to the jacket and I told the nurse to leave it. It was freezing in there. At least this is what I recall. The nurse let the jacket go and I used it as a blanket over my shoulders and arms until they put me in a hospital gown and I recovered myself with my jacket and they took me to x-ray and the technician wanted me to turn on my left side and then my right side and I had to tell her I couldn't move that fast. She would have to bear with me. My brain had to coordinate my body to follow her instructions. Finally, the ordeal was over and I covered myself with my jacket again as I was brought back to the emergency room. I had never left the stretcher. I don't know the order in which things happened. I know you were there in the doorway, but I don't know if that was before x-ray or after. Was it before the doctor came in or after? I know the doctor came in with the report and said, it's a miracle you're even alive. I understood the language, but not the meaning. He began to tell me all about the fractures I sustained, the internal bleeding, and the concussion. But I didn't feel anything except the heavy, dense weight of my body. I was in a dream state, not fully in the physical world. Everything seemed surreal. I know when you came in, I noticed you looked strange. 
Your facial expression was strange to me, serious, somber, shocked, even heartbroken and scared. And I reached out to you and I said, don't worry, I'm okay. But you stared at me like you didn't know me. I remember a nurse came in and told me, they don't have the right casts for your legs. And then she said, you don't want to stay here, do you? There's sick people here, you'd better go home. I remember thinking her strange to say such a thing and I told her, I'm going to stay until you cast my legs and then I'm going to a rehab. I remember the conversation brought you around too, Mercy, because you came right over and backed me up and demanded they get me a room. I wanted to get back to the way I was. I was expecting to return to the way I was in the dark corridor. I wanted to experience the rest of my restoration. I thought I would learn to walk again, I would heal, and I would have a new life and a new body. But this is not what happened. Very gradually I learned that the weight of the mortal world wasn't just in the gravity that made the world physical. The weight was in the mortal existence itself, in all of the futile mortal endeavors that the mortal experience offered. I think it was the repetitious futility that brought my lower mind back out into the foreground. How long did this take? I'm not sure. I don't have a consecutive timeline. I know I wasn't in pain in the ER. I know I threw up, and that was very unpleasant. It was very acidic. I remember I had to go to the bathroom, and they brought me a bedpan, which astounded me. I had two broken legs, no casts, a broken collarbone, and internal injuries, and they expected me to lift myself up while they shoved a cold metal pan under me. I told them I wanted a commode. They argued with me, and I kept insisting they get the commode. And then you commanded them to get a commode, Mercy, and they got one. So that was aggravating. My next memory of mental irritation was in the rehab. I had been going to physical therapy for my upper and lower body, and the recreation director came in and asked if I'd be interested in going to a lecture. I thought it would break up the monotony, so I said, sure. That afternoon, someone came to wheel me down to a conference room where I and a number of other patients were seated around a table, and we all gathered to listen to someone talk about something that I can't remember. What I do remember is, at one point, the speaker said something, and I made a joke about it and laughed, but everyone else looked like they were going to or coming from a funeral. It's not that they were crying, but they were stone-cold expressionless. There was no mental life in any one of them. How bizarre, I thought, and I laughed harder. The lecture ended, and I removed my right arm from a sling that I wore because of a broken collarbone. I began to wheel myself out of the room slowly and carefully, and a woman came over and took the chair handles behind me. I told her I was fine, I could handle it, but she wanted to argue with me that she could do it. So I let her, and I returned my arm to its more comfortable position in the sling. We didn't move too far down the hall when a patient who was walking very carefully close to the wall stumbled, and rather than just releasing my wheelchair and leaving it in a safe stationary position to go and help him, she actually pushed the wheelchair, so it went across the hall into the far wall while she went to help the man. I struggled to get my arm out of the sling to stop the chair, but the wheelchair hit the wall feet first, and the impact sent shockwaves of pain through my broken legs. 
I recovered very quickly, most likely due to the intense exasperation and aggravation that I felt, for I sincerely felt if that woman came near me, I would rip into her like hell's fury. So I wheeled myself out of there as fast as I could, cursing under my breath the whole time and raking the attendant over the coals for her incompetence. You weren't with me at the time, Mercy, or no one would have touched my wheelchair. If I was with you, I would have been pushing the wheelchair. I remember when you told me that tale. I asked you who the incompetent health care attendant was, and you said you didn't remember, nor could you identify her. If you had remembered, I would have taken her aside and taught her that you do not jeopardize one patient's health or life just to save or help another patient. Human beings that hold positions of power sometimes just can't handle their great responsibility. The power to help, heal, assist, save, comfort, and just be with God's creations in a caring, loving way is a great sure for some people. But in reality, this is a superior power of grace and intellect when it is done right. This particular human that pushed you into the wall never should have chosen health care for her profession, for she lacks the talent, skill, and responsibility to carry out the job professionally. Her incompetence also suggests a lack of training from the rehab itself. After all, a worker can only be as competent as the person who trained them. Very few people use initiative to think outside their training. These medical facilities never have enough health care workers on the floors or in their buildings, and therefore their hiring and training skills are also insufficient. All these health care facilities care about is putting bodies on the floors. They don't care about the quality of health care that these bodies are giving to the patients. You misunderstand the human invention of free enterprise. The idea to pack a health care facility with patients is merely to provide income for the facility. It has nothing to do with the quality of care for the patients. The number of patients equals income. The number of workers equals loss. This is an expenditure that cuts into the profits of a company, no matter what industry that company is in. The more time spent on training reduces productivity of the worker. Industries are run with an in and out philosophy herd the money in and let the customer go as quickly as possible, providing only bare minimum service to the customer or patient for a maximum profit. When you see a well-trained worker, you see the individual with integrity that cares about their job. Integrity comes from intelligence. Integrity is rare because intelligence is not taught, programmed, or deemed to be valuable in a human society with profit as its god. All human industries are money-making industries. They are not industries of quality or intelligence. They are not industries of care, nor are they industries of compassion. 
The words quality, care, and compassionate treatment may be in their slogans and their commercial jingles with catchy lyrics, but this is sales talk that is equal to subterfuge. All of man's industries are money-making industries. There are no exceptions. Money is God. Money is first. Profit is the goal. Profit is the prime directive. All else is sacrificed for profit and gain. This programming of free enterprise is fed to every worker as incentive so they will be indentured to work. As all humans are slaves to the economy and the free enterprise system that is not free at all. It is time-consuming, back-breaking, demoralizing, redundant, demeaning, and debilitating, offering no benefit for the intelligent mind, the intelligent spirit, or the intelligence of natural life. That was a wonderful speech. I couldn't have said it better myself. Through my 40-year run caring for people, I've seen a lot of substandard, incompetent care in hospitals, nursing homes, and medical facilities. These inferior incidents that I have been witness to happen all the time. The fact is, if people can't take responsibility for the earth and all of God's creations, how in the world can they take responsibility for their businesses, their industries, their workers, their jobs, or themselves? The answer is, they can't. Even though they made money their God, and even though they made money rule the world and their lives, they do not use their money responsibly, spend their money responsibly, or earn their money in any responsible way. Your accident and all the incidents surrounding your accidents just highlights how irresponsible this human race truly is. As I retell the story, it seems to me now that I came back from the almost dead to see all the human minds that are dead simply because there are no natural pilot lights to fuel them. I'm remembering another incident now, though this one is very mild. There was no injury. From the moment I arrived at the rehab, I was concerned for my brain because of my concussion. No one at the hospital addressed this, but because I was experiencing out-of-body feelings, I wanted to speak to someone. I had just finished breakfast in bed when the psychiatrist came in, a young fellow with a very serious face. In a very business-like manner, he held out a test to me. I can't really remember the test, but I believe he showed me images and I answered questions. I told him about my out-of-body experience and asked him what he thought. This poor fellow never changed his expression. Stone cold would fit him to a T. He told me I was depressed. This was interesting to me. I wonder how he classified himself. What is it called when a human bears no affectation in their face but a blank stare? He had no personality and his test was utter nonsense. But I didn't say this to him. I said, oh, well, thank you for coming in, or some other kind of thing that was equally bland. I really just wanted him to go away, as he was not offering me any kind of intellectual stimulation. When the time came to train me how to get in and out of my car so I could go home, I remember I wheeled myself down to the front door 
and the moment I saw the parking lot through the glass doors, I began to panic. I didn't want to go anywhere near it. You came in to get me, and I told you of my anxiety, and you were your usual kind, generous, compassionate self, and you wheeled me out slowly and talked to me the whole time and helped me in and out of the car a couple of times, and everything seemed okay. The next incident happened at home with the attorney who came to sign off on the case, and he told us the driver that hit me was 98 years old, and the law firm didn't find it feasible to sue him beyond the insurance money because they doubted he'd lived long enough for the case to come to trial. This upset me very much, and I even cried and shouted in anger, it's not fair. I felt so victimized and abused. I suppose this was the psychological damage the accident did to my lower mind. My full transformation back to mortality was complete when while writing in my diary I suddenly had a memory. I saw the sun the way it was in the sky the morning of the accident. I heard you and I laughing and then I felt tremendous pressure on my face as if I had been hit head on in the nose. I realized immediately that my brain must have slid forward and struck the back of my forehead when the back of my head hit the street. I was depressed from that moment on. It's funny that you remembered us laughing because we actually were laughing when the accident happened. Right before the car hit you, we were complaining over how our mattresses needed changing because they were so old and both of us would wake up in pain from sleeping on them. I have no recollection of the conversation, but I remember the disembodied experience vividly. It is recorded in my memory, and it is my saving grace, for I know where my destination lies. I understand what it means to be separated from the body, and I believe the experience was meant to teach me that I am a mind. I am not the sum of my flesh, nor am I the sum of my human information. I was awakened to the realization that being alive has nothing to do with being mortal. As a matter of fact, compared to my disembodied experience, life in the mortal condition is imprisonment and slavery to gravity forces. I cannot see the value in it anymore. The spirits teach that the journey of mortality is to discover you are mind through the discovery of all of your mind's power, which begins with the mind's power of sentient intelligence and the intellectual powers of analysis, reason, logic, and deduction that help the mind to understand what it is. But I see this is never fully grasped as immortal. I don't believe I would have ever come to the realization that I have now if I did not have a disembodied experience. Through my experience of disembodiment, I comprehend the truth of existence, and I enjoy the enlightenment that I receive from the discovery. But at the same time, as all of my intellectual powers are now advanced, I can see the flaw in creation itself. I see the flaw in the intelligence of creation. There is no natural creation that could ever learn the truth on a mortal level, because there is no mortal experience that teaches the truth. Nature does not teach the truth, and neither do humans. Nature only feeds the mind sensual information, and humans feed the mind their human opinions, and neither of these things tells the mind it is a mind. The realization that the mind is the true life form is lost without the experience that brings the truth out into the open. Even those humans that are disembodied after the death of their human shells whether they are attached to the earth and live as ghosts or they cross over to the spirit world that is actually a world of conscious minds. These humans don't know they are minds. They still believe they are human. The spirits that know they are mind 
are amazed and thrilled by the realization. They are inspired with the possibilities of eternal mental life, and they want to build on their purely mental disembodied community in order to see intelligent creation unfold. They want to see what other worlds the creator intelligence creates. They want to be there as witnesses and as guides for all mortal life to come. Mother tells me that the black corridor I found myself in is the same type of corridor a ghost on Earth uses to recharge their energy. It is a peridium corridor between dimensional universes. I'd like to share what she told me. Mother said, The black corridor is a peridium corridor of dense, heavy energy that draws all negative energy to it and absorbs it, so the spirit can recharge using its own positive energy reserve. Understand the spirit body is naturally balanced in positive and negative information. It is only the human information that is not naturally balanced, because human information did not come from nature. Man invented all human information. So, when a spirit retreats to a dark peridium corridor, that corridor absorbs the spirit's negative energy, and the natural positively charged spirit energy remains. And as there is no negative energy present anymore, this natural positive energy grows. The ghost on earth will only carry as much positive energy as is natural for a spirit body to have. Any additional positive energy will largely depend on the quality of the energy in the human ghost's intentions, purposes, and thoughts. Once a ghost recharges their positive energy and they leave the peridium corridor, the negative energies begin to recharge in the negative energy environment of the gravity world, so all of their mental power returns at maximum capacity. There is no way to deactivate a spirit, nor can you kill a spirit. The spirit must choose of its own volition to either surrender and return to the peridium corridor, or it must choose to cross over to the fourth dimension, that is the spirit dimension, for all human spirits that hold only human information. Pure impulse energy that is empty of a human identity and human information only connects to like impulse energies. This is the only quest in a pure impulse. The human impulse is an energy wave containing the will and the information of a human identity. And this human impulse will behave according to the individual mental intention of each man or woman. The human will and intention will be the same in the afterlife as it was An ascended Earth. mind there is will be peaceful, no change reasonable, unless and during the corporal journey, but a non-ascended human mind that is carnal pursues the depths of carnality, and this mind is hostile and unbalanced on Earth and in the afterlife. Change cannot occur for the carnal mind that holds no light to ascend. Only a mind that holds light can ascend to the light. Be very careful in your choice if you choose to have a dark mind. Make sure you want to spend two lifetimes in darkness, because this will be your fate. The mind lives after the corporal body's demise, and without a light, there will be no change for that mind. The darkness at new on earth will be the darkness that haunts it in the afterlife. In contrast, the mind that knew light on earth will know comfort and renewed life from the light and the potential to ascend and evolve in the afterlife. I can't say for certain that a ghost would feel the way I did when I was disembodied because a ghost is a ghost by virtue of being attached to something in the physical plane where I held no attachments. I was a brief visitor whose corporal body was merely unconscious in another dimension. But I can attest to the fact that there was nothing in the corridor but me. 
only it wasn't me. It was only my mind. There was no human information I just or human another reporting. incident that and returned I knew me to my lower mind. This incident took place the first time I went to a grocery store after I was released from the rehab. I wore a metal brace on my left leg and a heavy black boot on my right leg and my right arm in a sling while I used my left hand to steer a shopping cart that supported me while I moved about the store. Well, wouldn't you know it, someone plowed their shopping cart into me from behind and I started yelling the Lord's name. I have a metal brace on one leg and a cast on the other leg, and you can't see me? I turned to face my attacker that repeated over and over, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In my mind, the moment I was struck, I was assaulted, as if I were under attack. But I could not control my emotional response. I continued to call out the Lord's name, accompanied by choice comments on the lack of intelligence in my assailant. Later, the spirits told me that the brain injury I sustained in the concussion impaired my emotional balance. There was nothing wrong with your emotional balance. Your emotional balance was perfectly normal. When you are struck by a shopping cart, even without injuries, the first response you have is not, Oh my goodness, somebody hit me. That wasn't and a I nice can thing tell you to do. That the minds Anybody of all of those people like were careless, thoughtless, unfocused, preoccupied, unprincipled, and programmed. They were also self-absorbed. The driver that hit you was too old to be driving, yet I am certain he insisted on being self-sufficient, regardless of who he might harm, hurt, or kill. And his family allowed him to remain on the road. The emergency room workers wanted to go home and not take care of patients. The patients in the lecture wanted to go home and heal. They went to that lecture as a diversion, and your laughter was not part of the lecture, so it was a disturbance to them. Whereas you were paying attention to the lecturer and contemplating the words which made you remark and joke about their contents, the other patients were focused on their own pain, problems, and suffering, and really didn't grasp what was being said, not by the lecturer and not by you. The psychiatrist was young, tired, and focused on the programming of his work, for he had plans for his life. He probably was working towards opening his own practice. Your problem was not a usual mental health problem. The mental health problems this man was used to was depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and things of that nature. He had no time for what you were saying. He probably considered what you were saying hallucinations and delusions. He was not getting paid enough to put his mind on such things. You were just a patient in a rehab recovering from an accident, period. All patients recovering in rehabs for any reason are depressed. This is what he was told to say. End of the diagnosis. Move on to the next depression case. Now, concerning the woman that actually pushed you into a wall... This woman was programmed to help all patients, so her mind went on overload when there was too 
too many patients to assist. Because she was wailing you and you were stationary at the time, you were no longer a concern to her. So when she saw the other patient stumble, she thought that you were all right, which made her forget she was still pushing you. So instead, she pushed what she was holding aside. She forgot it was a wheelchair. She forgot you were in it. She went to assist the other patient because her mind could not comprehend helping two patients at once. Her mind's capacity was not that great. And the equation of helping two different human beings was much too complex for her very small mind. Concerning the lawyer who was handling your case, he was financially discouraged over how he could get a substantial amount of money for himself and the law firm that he worked at. If the old man that hit you died, how was he going to make a profit? This wasn't about finding ways to get around the issue so you could be helped. This was about the law firm's financial loss. Once again, the minds of all people in the law firm were careless, thoughtless, unfocused, preoccupied, programmed, and self-absorbed. Now, as far as the woman in the grocery store was concerned, I was there. I saw her. I remember the whole thing. Her first words were, I didn't see you. Was she blind? No. Did she forget to wear her glasses or contact lenses that day? We'll never know that because we didn't ask. What we could clearly see, however, was that this young woman was multitasking. And because she was speaking on a cell phone, operating a shopping cart, thinking of what to buy, thinking of what the person on the other end of the call was saying and what she was going to say next, and she was also keeping her body in a forward, determined motion while walking through the store aisle to aisle, she literally forgot how to operate her own cluttered mind. She forgot how to initiate her full sense of awareness. So she was actually present in the moment. Doing five things at once was severely placing her brain on overload. After all, she was walking, talking, shopping, and thinking of what to buy, how to answer the caller on the other end of the phone, and she was also thinking of what aisles she wanted to go down next. So how in the world could she pay attention to anything that was in front of her or to either side of her? Her mind was not that vast. She only had enough mental power to focus entirely on herself and what she was doing. The fact is, People are constantly forgetting how to use, control, and operate their mind in any constructive way, for their thoughts are pre-programmed and arranged according to their self-serving plans, schedules, human instructions, and human influences. These are the instructions and influences, mind you, of their human masters. Thinking outside a program box is complicated. And it takes intelligence, mental effort, 
concern, consideration, responsibility, and great willpower. All of these things that you had to witness and be a part of were to alert your mind to the fact that you should not do the negative things that humans do. And you should not act the same negative, violent, corrupt, thoughtless, unfair, unjust, irresponsible, and self-centered way that humans act. And you should not think the same negative, violent, corrupt, thoughtless, unfair, unjust, irresponsible, and self-centered way that humans think. And you should not like the same popular, negative, disrespectful, inconsiderate, self-indulgent, self-centered, violent, corrupt, thoughtless, unfair, unjust, irresponsible, and self-centered things that humans like. Nor should you live in the same programmed, negative, disrespectful, inconsiderate, self-indulgent, self-centered, violent, corrupt, thoughtless, unfair, unjust, irresponsible, and self-centered way that humans live now in their present traditions and in their present cultures, or as they lived in the past. All of these first-hand human events that we must live through are clearly orchestrated to teach us to raise our minds out of human thinking. This is holy divinity at work. I believe I ascended through the accident in order to see the self-imposed limitations on the human mind and for 15 years I have continued to see them and document them. It is because I am aware of the self-imposed limitations on the human mind that I made the decision to start my own practice of astralism, the science of the astral planes. The astral planes are the planes of the higher mind. The higher alpha mind is an astral mind. The alpha mind is not human. This is the area that I teach because it is the area that holds my interest. I do not want to limit myself to mortal thinking or the mortal condition, so I do not teach mortal concepts or mortal ideas. I know mortality is death. Mortality is death for the mind and the flesh body. The mind that holds mortal information does not live. It merely runs in a loop inside stored memories. Whether those memories are personal or they are all the stored memorizations of mortal job functions. All mortal information relates to mortality, and mortality dies on earth. The ascended mind lives. The ascended mind doesn't know mortality. The ascended mind doesn't experience mortality. The ascended mind knows only the perfect potential of all possibilities, empty of all mortality and human information. This is life. Mortality is a constant struggle to troubleshoot all threats to mortal existence and then humans exacerbate all of the natural threats by making the natural threats more volatile and unnatural so unnatural disease, unnatural deformity and unnatural birth defects from man's unnatural poisons are also thrown into the mix. This is offensive and obscene to me and it's offensive and obscene to the intelligent spirits that I represent. Mostly everything that humans do is obscene to me. When speaking of your accident, I only wish I could have predicted it and stopped it from happening, but psychic awareness doesn't work on command, nor does it work when you need it to. Or I could have predicted our mother's blindness and renal failure and our father's Alzheimer's disease. In all three cases, all I remember is feeling uneasy. It was like when we moved here. I felt like we would die here. It was like our lives ended and all was lost. 
but there was absolutely no visions and no inclinations of the horrors that were to come. Psychic feelings are the most prevalent ability in psychic awareness. Very few people have psychic visions, but almost every single person has psychic feelings of intuition. Any instinctive feeling that something good or something bad is going to happen is psychic intuition. It can also be empathic intuition. The powers of empathy bring on the same gifts as psychic ability, but it's a sensual knowing through sensual visions that include sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, feelings, and emotions. Empathic intuition brings on a sensation of hope when there are potentials to be discovered and a sense of dread when something is ending or something unpleasant is coming. I agree with you. In fact, I think very few psychics can be psychic without being empathic. I know I'm both psychic and empathic. I am always intuitively picking up psychic feelings, both high and low, without any means of clarifying what the feelings entail signify or what they are literally trying to convey. These feelings come to me from all directions. In fact, I have feelings right now. I've been having these feelings for months. This current feeling that I'm having feels like oppression. It is very suppressive, stifled, held back, and held down. I would describe it also as suffocating. It is a feeling like you are being held in place and you can't move in any direction because the feeling is forcing you to wait and stand still. Like most of my psychic feelings, there are no visions attached, nothing that can define them. This feeling I am having currently does not feel good or bad. It is vacant of any positive or negative feelings that would indicate future upheaval or hardship or future joy and elation. Unlike the morning that car struck you down in the street, I told you I had a bad feeling, but I couldn't pinpoint it. This feeling that I have now is strong and vague. The feeling I had that morning was very clear. Something bad and foreboding was going to happen. On the morning of the accident, I couldn't determine where the bad feeling was generating from because nothing stood out as a warning to me. If I had a gut feeling not to leave the house, I would have stayed home. If I saw the accident or if I sensed danger, I also would have stayed home. But some intuition just doesn't work like that. When you have intuitive feelings, they're really not ever focused or precise. I have learned in my many years of having psychic visions that it is harder to receive psychic visions of loved ones and people who you care about than it is having psychic visions of strangers. Other psychics that I know say this too. 